Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is why XPO is spinning off GXO with my friend, Mark Manduka. How's it going, Mark? Hey, Joe. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm so happy to talk about this. The other day, I was just re-listening to a podcast I did with Ben Gordon, who's one of the top investment guys in the space. And he was saying that XPO was maybe one of the best stock stories, not just logistics stock stories, but one of the best stock stories of the last, I don't know, decade or so. And I was like, ooh, that's kind of interesting. So uh, when I had the opportunity, uh, when Tara from your company reached out and said, hey, do you guys want to talk about the spinoff, I was like, yes, 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 yes. So I know all about XPO, but I think we'll learn a lot more today. But before we get into that, Mark, please introduce yourself and your company. Thank you so much, Joe. So I am Chief Investment Officer of the soon-to-be-spun-out element of XPO. XPO, you'll know, that hugely successful share price story that you talked about, is effectively a leader in logistics, a leader in brokerage, and a leader in LTL. And we are spinning out that first portion, that logistics portion, that warehousing portion. That will be spun out. It's planned to be spun out, at least, on the 2nd of August. And it's 900 warehouses or so, the better wow. part of uh, the better part of 100,000 teammates. So we're a, we're a global leader in that space. We're the largest pure play in the entire warehousing market. So we're, we're very excited, uh, not only for Ooh. shareholders, but also for our customers. This is going to be a great journey. Yep. So before we get into that, well, I want to get a little more detail of that. Let's understand a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? That sounds like a Boston accent or a New York accent. Very, very, very sweet of you to notice the, uh, the, 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 the British, the great British accent. Born, uh, born in London, born and raised, and went to a school in Windsor called Eton College. Oh, very nice. Later, later Edinburgh University, and then joined the city. Uh, at the age of 22, better part of, I think it was now 17 years ago, 16 City years Bank? Ago. Well, it was Citibank after after a while. But first of all, I was on the investment buy side. So worked out in a, a company in Singapore, Aberdeen Asset Management, uh, which later merged with Standard Life. And then after an internship there, joined uh, an investment house called Insight Investment, worked there for the better part of five years. Then joined Bank of America Merrill Lynch as a transportation analyst, um, spent eight years there, and then spent uh, close to three years at Citigroup more recently as also a transportation analyst and associate director of research there. So it's been you a- look at this business from the other side of it for most of us. Most of us are talking operational. You're looking at it from the top down, which is a good view. Be good view. Top down is always a good place to be. But um, I, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm in the weeds, and I'm excited to be at a company. That is, uh, that is as good and great as we are. And it's an, an amazing firm. This we've got, we've got a great energy as we head into the spin. Uh, it's a very entrepreneurial firm. And we're, we're go-getters. And we want, we want to do well for, for all our stakeholders and, and all our employees. Right. So um, where do you live now? So we've just moved. I, I've moved my family to, uh, to, to Greenwich, Connecticut, which is, which is lovely, may I say. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So when did you join uh, up with these guys? So I joined in May. Joined in May and excellent, uh, excellent. Just for this this opportunity. 
Well, this is fantastic. So before we get into why you spun, why you guys are spinning this off, tell us a little bit about XPO. I mean, I think my version of it, I'd like to get more uh, insights from you, is Brad Jacobs was a very successful uh, businessman. I think super successful, one of the most more successful businessmen out there. And then he got in this space, I don't know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, and started kind of consolidating. I think it grew organically, but also consolidated a ton of brokerage companies, a ton of expediting companies. It just seemed like uh, to grow and grow and grow. And then I lived near Ann Arbor and I saw they bought Conway, which was one of, if not the largest LTL companies at the time. So I was like, whoa, where does this ever end? And recently when I had Ben Gordon, I just mentioned Ben said, this was absolutely an incredible success story. I think second, probably only to, he said, uh, FedEx and UPS, which really took advantage of what happened during the pandemic. But uh, tell us a little bit about XPO and, and, and that's great run that we've seen over the last decade or so. It's been a phenomenal run. And as you, as you said, Brad, um, when you said very successful, I don't actually think that covers it because right. um, I, I truly right, millionaire. Right. I, I believe the man is a genius, uh, the world's best CEO in my view, and he's an amazing boss as well. In, in in so many in so many ways, Brad has created the magic in the bottle, the lightning in the bottle moment with XBO, as you say, through organic growth, through building teams, uh, and also through through rolling up uh, at the time, I guess, underval- undervalued assets. And part of that story and part of that uh, M&A journey was, was obviously what happened with the logistics portion of the business, a combination of deals, whether it was Jacobson or Norbert uh, or Newbreed. And that has been a, has been a journey of, of true value creation for stakeholders. Brad has, Brad has created enormous stakeholder value over the past 30 years. I mean, three companies in particular that have, have all been 10 baggers plus. So it's been a it's, it's been an extraordinary journey, and Brad is Brad is an amazing manager, as I mentioned. Right, and what's it's interesting to me is, uh, and I came from uh, automotive to logistics in '08, and one of the things that I would look when I first got here, I was like, oh, this is this is very dynamic, but very splintered. Uh, you could look around the industry and say, yeah, there's not the technology, there's not the a lot of the companies were privately owned and smaller. Uh, there wasn't the capitalization that you would normally see. And serving the biggest companies in the world, and and supply chain's always been important. But I think in the last decade, we've recognized not only it's important, it also hasn't had the right amount of tech, hasn't had the right amount of outside investors like Brad. He's not the only one, but all this VC money, all this private equity, people like Brad coming in and saying, "Let's let's make the investments we need to make to make this a world class industry and to build some." And I think there's also not so long ago, like three or four companies that were billion dollar companies. Now, all of a sudden, there's an expectation that we're going to have, I'm thinking, dozens of billion dollar players. And that seemed inconceivable even a decade or so ago. I, I completely hear you, Joe. And the, the reality is, is that the market, particularly the supply chain industry that you refer to, is is still relatively nascent in its development, oh, yeah. even today. We are the largest pure play provider, as I mentioned. But we still only hold 5% of this fast-growing $130 billion outsourced logistics market. And that covers effectively Europe uh, and North America. So the ability here to, to consolidate the market, both organically through contracts migrating towards the scale players like us, and via successful M&A, which is clearly in our DNA, as you mentioned 
uh, as you mentioned uh, from your comments about Brad, and for a company that has a strong balance sheet such as us, I think we sit in the perfect position to consolidate this market over the next decade as the right opportunities present themselves. Right, right. So let's talk a little bit about XPO. Uh, what is it, what is XPO today? And then we'll talk about why, why the spinoff. So what is XPO today? What is the business they're in? So the three major businesses are the brokerage business, LTL, and contract logistics business, the warehousing portion. And it's the warehousing portion, which I'll be chief investment officer of, and that will be spun out on the, the 2nd of August. When it comes to thinking about why the spin out? Well, you, you do spin outs for, for, for a variety of reasons, as always. We have a pretty clear view about why we're doing this. And when it comes to thinking about warehousing, we, we simply don't believe that you've been able to shine a light on this asset in the, in the conglomerate structure that we, we currently have. When it comes to analyzing for the sell side and for our investors, analyzing the great tenants of this company. So the initial goal of the spin is really holistically to benefit XBO, GXO, and and their conglomerate stakeholders by unlocking trapped equity value. And to be precise, after the spin, we would expect each business to trade at a sharp premium to to XBO's current multiple. Now, why else do you do a spin? Well, logically, you want to create a pure play equity currency to to attract talent and also to engage in, in strategic and accretive transactions going forwards. And I think each company post the spin will be able to better tailor their own capital structures uh, and capital allocations towards those strategic priorities. So I think it's going to be a positive for both companies. This is great company spinning out great company in so many ways. And we're very excited as we run towards the 2nd of August. Right. So so if I could just summarize that and hopefully closer to layman terms, because, again, we're, we're, we're uh, logistics and supply chain people mostly in this podcast, but... We all hold stocks. And when you hold a stock, sometimes you say a stock just doesn't, the, 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 the management in the, uh, says, look, the market isn't recognizing the value of this stock. They're calling it worth X and we know it's X plus, plus, plus. And that's what XPO is. And that part of that problem is sometimes is when you have a company that has brokerage and not everybody understands the freight brokerage business. So they go, I don't know what that is. And then less than truckload. It's not. It's not as common as truckload. So people go, what is that? That's a trucking company. Why do you own that? Right. Not, not seeing perhaps the strategic importance of it. And then this warehousing, which hmm. warehousing and trucking could be the, like, the most boring businesses, the most unappreciated businesses over the last generation. But only now I think people are starting to say, whoa, 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 we need, <laughs> we need less than truckload. It's very important, especially with small parcel. And warehousing isn't just warehousing anymore. It's a high-tech business. And it's, mm. it's the backbone of, of, of e-commerce. You're and totally I right. I don't think people realize that. So, so part of the reason you're spinning this off is to say, look, we want this pure play for a GXO to be recognized as the backbone of e-commerce. You can't go and do e-commerce without uh, companies like GXO and and then the brokerage and LTL still at within XPO, super important. We need those things too. So did I get that right? I completely agree, Joe. This is going to put warehousing on the map in so many ways. We are, we are going to set the pace, I feel, as the largest pure play operator. We're going to set the pace and almost create a share price multiple, so to speak, within its own right. And I loved your point on the operations side as well when you explained it. You know, when a customer moves to, to, to a company like ours, to GXO, which will be the spin out, 
it's not it's not only a cost decision, Joe. It's a revenue decision for our customers. You know, logistics, as you, as you mentioned, represents about three percent or so of our typical customers' revenue. But if you pick the wrong provider, if it, if it doesn't work out, it's going to affect a hundred percent of your revenues. Right. Right. So you've got to make sure that the three percent of your costs doesn't impact 100% of right. your revenue. So this industry has moved away from having a price discussion and customers increasingly are demanding scale players. So people who can do reverse logistics, people are, are constantly asking us for globality. Are you a global multinational right. company, just like our customers? And there's a real demand out there for a best in class scalable provider. And as you said, it's a technology driven industry. The small, ultimately, I think, are going to migrate towards the big in terms of contracts. You're going to see the scale players increasingly winning here at the contract table as we see this right. migration of contracts to the, to the big players. Right, right. And you know what? You mentioned cost isn't as important. When I, I spent most of my career in automotive, and I wouldn't go to a logistics meeting. I would never go to the logistics meeting. They'd say, Joe, you air freighted a whole bunch of stuff to China. You have to go to the logistics meeting and explain yourself. I was like, I'd really have to explain myself if we can't launch. I I don't have to explain myself for a logistics cost overrun. That I, wasn't my fault. We had to we had to air freight. Um, the idea of trying to save a lot of money in logistics, everybody wants to save money. But to your point, it's not usually the top thing I would worry about if I'm in automotive. And another thing that I, I say this sometimes on the podcast, um, 50 years ago, we had automotive. And our supply, we, we would build cars in the Detroit area in Ohio and in Indiana, and all the suppliers were close by. Yeah. Some of them might be way down south in North Carolina. Now they're all over the place. Tons of automotive vendors, suppliers are down in Mexico. They're in yeah. Canada. They're increasingly in China. What I used to need, if I was a Ford Motor Company, a General Motors, a Chrysler, Stellantis, <laughs> I would have done business with a trucking company that got my stuff from Ohio and brought it to me. Not that difficult. Now I'm buying that stuff from China. And it has to be trucked in China, has to be shipped over the ocean, has to go through a very crowded port, and then sent to a warehouse. You can't send it directly to an assembly plant. And then it has to come to the assembly plant. It's a completely different thing. And that drives a need for technology that is was unheard of a, a decade or two ago. You're totally right, Joe. Complexity has gone up. And, you know, just to bring the point home that, you know, the manufacturing of the phone that you use involves roughly 43 countries all to work together in harmony. So right. if one piece of the chain breaks, the, the, the phone doesn't get made. Right, right. You know, so that's what that's COVID. That's COVID's caused a number of problems and caused effectively the whole chain to break down, which is one of the many reasons, including buying pattern changes that we've seen and obviously changes in flight patterns. They, these are these are all things that have driven this logjam that we see in the system today. And your your point referenced exactly that bottleneck. You know the, the bottlenecks and the complexity that we're currently seeing in the system today for across the global supply chain is exactly why customers need a best in class provider like us to manage their warehousing for them. Right. And I would say you know I, I still say there's going to be small guys who might feel more comfortable with a small broker. They might feel comfortable with a local trucking company. Um, but if you're, you're a company that has to scale and say, look, we have operations on every continent, we're doing business everywhere, we're a billion-dollar company, the idea that you wouldn't have a billion-dollar partner in uh, 
logistics and supply chain is ridiculous. <laughs> and and the technology alone, I mean, the leaders, we're seeing the leaders in this space spend, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in technology. You can't get that from mom and pa down the street, <laughs> even though you're... So uh, let's talk a little bit about GXO. So this is warehousing. What is the main part of your warehousing? Is it uh, warehousing that goes to retail or describe some of where you're at now and where you're going to be after you get rolling? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. So in terms of, let's, let's describe it in customer terms. So what do, what do we do? We manage what's inside the warehouse. A pallet of t-shirts comes in, a pallet goes out. We make sure that that is palleted and boxed efficiently. And it sounds simple, but when you combine it with reverse logistics, for example, which is customers returning items, as I mentioned, one in three items in this new e-commerce world are being returned right now. Right. It becomes increasingly complicated, and that complexity requires that scale provider that I mentioned. So our value proposition has been validated, in my view, by long-term customer relationships with a number of respected global brands. You'll know these. These are over 30% of the Fortune 100 companies. And our strategic focus in terms of the verticals, so the the customer verticals that we're that we're, we're subscribing to are very much around e-commerce and omni-channel retail. So that makes up about 40% of our sales. We do business with food and beverage customers. That makes up about 13% of our sales. And consumer packaged goods makes up around 13% as well, alongside consumer technology being 11%. And that drives, for, for me, the, the differentiation in customers' eyes and also allows us to, to generate... I feel innovative customer centric solutions across those different verticals. We are a customer driven business. No single customer makes up more than 4% of our sales and our customers stay with us for a long, long period of time. We solve their supply chain problems for them. Our top 20 customers have been with us for 15 years to give you a sense. Very nice. So when you talk about uh, e-commerce, you, you said 900 warehouses, are, are all of them engaged in e-commerce? To a certain to a certain degree, um, if you had to sort of so, I mean, some, off, some bigger, some less, I'm sure, but yeah, some big, some less, as, as you say. But by and large, forty percent of our business are from e-commerce players. So that's a good gauge of thinking about how much of our business overall, from a revenue standpoint, is exposed to e-commerce. Right, and now you guys do cold chain. Absolutely, we're we're involved in cold chain as well. We we are very much a customer centric solution. We'll do. We'll do whatever our customers want in so many ways if the technology is available and if the warehousing capabilities are available as well. We're very, very much nice. a customer center. Very nice. So uh, what's interesting to me is I think what, as we see same day, next day, mm-hmm. uh, that's increasingly important. Um, that means we have need more warehouses closer to population centers. And right, the idea, right. I think I just had somebody talking about uh, warehousing systems. And the, the software, and they said fifty percent of the warehousing companies that they sold to were one warehouse. So the whole business was one warehouse. So you can't say yes, we will hit the same day next day, and we have one warehouse in Las Vegas because <laughs> you aren't you aren't one day away from New York City. You're not one day away from Detroit. So we have to. So we have to. If you're going to have that same day next day, you're going to have to have a player that has that geographic footprint, that service footprint. Right. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. And availability of real estate, which is tangential to your question, but also important. Right. It is clearly going to be a challenge. And, that, and that's why you need 
someone who has those dedicated relationships from a real estate perspective. You know, the industry's ultimately seen vac- vacancy rates on the real estate that you talked about fall to the low single digits, um, particularly across parts of Europe right now. And it, to that degree, uh, it highlights the, uh, the the negative, which is smaller players are going to struggle to be able to find suitable real estate for those last mile structural changes that you're talking about, wanting to be close to the customer. But I also think the positive is that it highlights the strength of the demand for our services. This is exactly why our customers need us. They need a dedicated partner who can find these solutions for them. So not only does it does it point to increased usage of warehousing and logistics capabilities, given our our scale operation in regards to warehousing, it leaves us relatively well positioned to secure leases for our customers. So people come to us. Yeah, you can make the investments they need to you know, that are necessary. Again, that's you can't play, you guys can play with the big boys. And that's one of the challenges I think I've seen. I advise large shippers sometimes that spend a hundred million dollars on, on shipping. And sometimes you find smaller players and, and they just can't, they can't hang. I mean, it's a challenge because they say, Hey, could you open a warehouse down here in Mexico? And they say, uh, well, we'd have to get a partner and the, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but um, do you really want that hassle? <laughs> And as you say, it's not just scale in real estate, it's also scale in that partner in Mexico that you mentioned. It's also scale in being able to employ larger numbers of people across yeah. different jurisdictions. That's not right. an easy task. And it requires bargaining power and it requires it requires being big, in effect. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and, the, and that, I think, for, uh, warehousing and fulfillment, I think, has a real challenge with employment. Because if you gave me the choice right now, say, Joe, you can go work uh, in one of uh, GXO's warehousing, or you can uh, go to DoorDash. I would be very, unless you can say, Joe, you're part of a supply chain company. Uh, if it's just a regular warehouse and I got to walk around and pick boxes up all day, I'd be like, nah, I'll go do DoorDash, <laughs> right? So we, I think we, we in this business have to make the warehousing jobs into part of the supply chain. And there has to be some mobility out of that job. So I think this is one of the challenges that people, companies like you, operators, are going to have. Well, look, we've got a very engaged employee workforce, as you know. They're, they're all our teammates, and and we're all very focused on making sure we're doing what's best for, for all our stakeholders, and in particular, our customers. When it comes to the warehouses themselves, clearly, uh, as a leading tech innovator across robots and goods-to-person systems and wearable technology, it's approving efficiency in warehouses. And in so many ways, to your employee point, we don't see the future of, of it being people versus robots, i.e. robots subsuming the role of, right. uh, of people. We actually see a future here of people and robots and making, right. making the processes that you discussed that, more, that much more efficient and that much, that, that much more sensible and, uh, and achievable. Right. And, you know, this again, I, I, I think 20 years ago, if somebody said, I work in a warehouse, you'd be like, oh, dull. Like, that's that sucks. It's the lowest of low tech businesses. Now, uh, warehouses, not only do they have the warehouse management systems and all the connectivity and visibility that w- we need, but also they do have that automation. And I think that's going to be important. I come from automotive. We learned long ago that you can't ask somebody to do a job that's physically demanding for 25 years in a row and expect that they're not going to be injured. We have to move to a job where you say, look, this is going to be a job with that is going to be uh, automated when it needs to be. And when you need a human, you get a human. <laughs> and warehouses, as you know, have become increasingly automated for, oh, for efficiency, yeah. speed, and safety. So it, it's transforming the logistics industry, as you know. And I'd like to think that we're a leader in that regard. 
Excellent. Excellent. You know, one last thing. I know you've got to go. You got a hard stop, but you mentioned reverse logistics and that is troubling. I, I was called that the e-commerce dirty little secret is 30% returns in some cases. You guys obviously manage a lot of that. What do you see for that, that piece of the business? It's a phenomenal portion of our, of, of our growth within the e-commerce bracket that I discussed. As you say, the industry has gone from one in 10 returns in the old retail model when you were buying things in a store to the one in three model today, which has caused a, a huge amount of complexity. Right. Now, clearly, you have to compound these, these, these complexity issues for customers because in the old world, you'd have a thousand T-shirts arriving on a pallet. And that would come back to the warehouse and you'd then send out two pallets or boxes that afternoon. In the new world, what happens is, is a thousand T-shirts arrive and then a thousand separate boxes need to be sent out. And then in turn, 300 of those boxes come right. back in terms of reverse logistics. So the flywheel here in terms of complexity has, has really made it so difficult for some of our customers right. to do this on their own. I and, Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I was watching, I was at my mother's house and I was watching Home Shopping Network and they do such a good, and it's funny because it's, I, I never watched it before, but my mom's got it on. And they do such a good job of talking about the sizing. And I think we're going to have e-commerce companies do that. And I think another thing, I have two daughters, so I can say I know this happens. A lot of times people will order stuff and say, I'm going to order it in this color and this size and this size and this color. And then try it all on and send it back because that was what they were used to doing in a retail environment. And most people say, that's free. Go ahead and do that. I think we need to retrain. This is not going to be your job, but the job of your customers can be, let's retrain these people to recognize there's a sustainable aspect of that. We don't want to have to just start doing this because of sustainability, but also it's a cost driver that we don't want to have. Somebody has to swallow that somewhere along the line. And we don't want that. This is, a, this, this is, a, this is about solutions. It's about helping customers achieve their goals. It's a white glove service to help people to achieve what they need to do for their own customers in turn. And in driving efficiencies, it drives savings, and that's good for our customers, and that's ultimately good for their customers as well. So it's such an important part uh, of the entire value chain, what we offer, I believe. Excellent, excellent. Well, Mark, thank you so much for coming on and talking about this spinoff. I know you're a busy man these days with all the talk of the spinoff coming in. What, what day does that happen? 2nd of August at GXO, all right. trade all on right. New York Stock Exchange. Hallelujah. All right. Well, very good luck with the spinoff. I know you guys will be successful. And thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. Your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.